Hello and welcome to Too Rash, Too Unadvised, Obvious Side Effects of Seven Surrenders. My name is Liam Nolan. And my name is And today we're discussing chapters 11 and 12. If you'd like to ask us any questions or be on the show, please feel free to reach out at tworash2unadvised at gmail.com. I may check that email, so no spoilers, please. Also support us on Patreon at tworash2unadvised. And with many thanks to our Lord and Savior, Wes. And Eternal Tarrant, who I'll, of course, kill. Let's get on with the show. Okay, so lots of things happened this week. Lots of things happen this week. Let's take them more or less in order. Mm-hmm. How about so we open chapter eleven? Finally, like I'd hoped for, actually our our very last episode. We get more from Brill. Yeah. Uh, I like Faust less this chapter. He was he was a lot more fun in some of the other ones. Whereas in this, he just kind of seems boring. If I'm being entirely honest, he gets more and more aggressive as as Sniper gets more and more aggressive. Uh, I think he accuses. That's true. He gets it. He um. In response to the rumor that um, there's a room, Faust has a room just for research on uh, Jed, on Jehovah. Uh, he says, well, I heard a rumor that um, in order to settle the Randrant problem, uh, they just prostituted you to the uh, Mitsubishi. But, you know, there are lots of rumors nowadays. That was pretty good. Anyway, so we open with Sniper visiting Faust, strolling through uh, a, a city that I'm not even going to attempt to pronounce. Ingolstadt? Uh, Ingolstadt. Yeah. Am I saying that right? Oh, you didn't say what's that. You tried to say the name of the city. Now I see what's happened there. <laughs> Is my pronunciation that bad? That I genuinely thought you were asking, you were just challenging me to come up with what the city was called. Yes. Ingolstadt. Stadt. In any case, we do get a lot about the Brillists in this. One thing that I liked was that apparently they all speak German because mm-hmm. someone decided that was the best language to think about research in. <laughs> yeah. Which feels a little bit, you know, <laughs> maybe not ideal as an attitude. But also, people are really willing in this world to learn languages just kind of for the sake of learning languages. I don't know where they find the time. I don't know if that... I think learning a language is a relatively big deal in this world. Um, and you do it to mark a membership in a community. And because people are intentionally part of various communities much more often in this world, they intentionally learn languages more. I suppose that makes sense. And people can learn new languages. I'm told that's a real thing that happens. Mm-hmm. I just generally don't expect someone to learn a language. Well, although they are... The lack of geography has actually made this a lot more relevant, I suppose. Because mm-hmm. you could always be in a place surrounded by people who speak whatever it is and to speak. Mm-hmm. Good lord, that actually must make this a bit of a nightmare of a universe to get around if everyone's speaking a new language across every corner. That they they don't know their language that they're speaking? Well, they they don't know the language that... No one knows the language most people are speaking around them at any given time, right? I don't think that's true. I think we've... A remarkable other conversation in 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 this book of happiness explicitly in English. So you're suggesting English is like a the standard communication system and everyone else then has their little add-ons? Maybe. I'd be fine with that. 
as an as an answer to this because it does sort of solve the, the basic communication that are that are genuinely risk. Maybe they have just really good translators. <laughs> I suppose they could too. No, but we know they don't because it's so impressive that Mycroft can translate so many languages. It's well, remarked upon. I think there's a difference between translating well enough to get a conversation and translating well enough for like an investigation. Maybe, maybe. Like I could, I could read enough French to get a text French conversation. I could not read French well enough to like help in investigating something in France. This just would not. I would not. I'm not good enough for that. The too many details you'd need to know too well. Yeah, yeah. I, I can see that. Anyway, let's. Let's try to stick to the chapter a little bit more this episode. Maybe that's why people got bored of us. Yeah, I have so, lots of notes that you can't see this time. Oh, interesting. Okay. I also have notes. If I'm being honest, I took fewer notes on Section 2 because I was interested in what was going on, and that stifles my willingness to stop reading and jot something down. So Sniper shows up. He's been gone for a day. Clearly that was a big deal. So now he's hanging around without a shirt all day. Mm -hmm. And we find out that everyone in the world is interested in what's happening with the Cousins Feedback Bureau. And I'll be honest, it had not occurred to me why it would be interesting that the head of the Cousins Feedback Bureau would be on the 710 list until this set of chapters. (laughs) It just seemed like a really obvious person to be on the list. Well, I guess, you know... Well, we just don't have the context for, like, the governance system. Like, we just learned this chapter that the, um... Gordians are apparently governed uh, by a really unusual family that's chosen every every generation. Didn't we know that the cousins used a computer to do all of this stuff, though? Yeah, but um, the closest example given in the chapter is the censor, and the censor appears on several seven ten lists. So it's not. I suppose that's true. Yeah. So the actual. Yeah, okay. I can, I can get I can get my head around that. So everyone has sort of assumed that the computer is doing everything. And the relevant issue now is that it's it's maybe not the case. Yeah. If you're exerting this much influence over things, mm-hmm. it could potentially be an issue with the cousins, which I'm on board for. Uh we could do with fewer cousins. <laughs> it's probably the right play. Um sniper uh have used this as a threat uh to the cousins and is concerned. And it's only concerned about it, it being a threat. <clears throat> Not at all that, whether it's true. I think he's probably right about that. The suggestion of impropriety can be just as bad as actual impropriety mm-hmm. in politics. And this is politics. I could name many examples, <laughs> but um, I don't think that I should. <laughs> we also get a couple of fun notes about Faust. So at one point we learn that... What was the line? Faust laughed, not at Sniper's words, but at its gesture, posture, the angle of its stance, which, to the old voyeur, betrayed more than a diary. So they... I'm so annoyed at how the Brillists are apparently able to just magically intuit people's entire personalities. I don't think Based on how people stand. Well, I feel like it can't possibly be science, is the problem. Oh. Why? Because... People stand differently all the time, right? You you cannot tell me that the angle my feet are at is a solid enough indicator that you can tell me more from that than you could my actual diary. It's, it's a ludicrous concept, and I don't care for it. Which is a shame, because otherwise, Faust is pretty great. Uh, I think Mycroft is exaggerating a bit. <laughs> is he, though... Does Mycroft actually exaggerate that much? 
I don't know, does he? I'm I'm not convinced he does. He's really consistently just been saying exactly what he means. In in ways I did not catch on to for the first book and a half. But at this point, uh, I think he's just telling us what he believes to be the truth. And the Brillists clearly think of themselves as able to do this. I mean, they both I mean, he... think they're able to get lots of things from how people stand. I think that's true. I don't know if the amount of information you get is, is, is more than someone's diary. I think that the book wants me to believe that it is. Okay. I will, I will be forced to accept it eventually, and until that happens, I'm going to stick with my better path. Which is? Uh, that this whole Brillist thing is nonsense, and if there isn't a magical explanation, I'll be disappointed. <laughs> so we get some more information about the cousins. The cousins are maybe in trouble. Oh, um, we... and one of the, one of the, there's a note in, in Sniper's thing about um, who he would try, who they would try, who... I'm going to go with they, who they would try to bribe to, um... Oh, he says, if I was a sinister conspiracy, Mm -hmm. I wouldn't do the following. Sniper is not subtle. (laughs) (laughs) That's not, that's not the worst part. There's a part later where he declares that he is willing to kill (laughs) for his hive. You know what? I'm more okay with that. That can be plausibly read as, like, rhetorical flourish. People say that kind of thing all the time. People who are members of Sinister Conspiracies should not say to mind-reading brain mages, you know, if I was part of a sinister plot to take over the world, here's how I'd do it. (laughs) I thought at one point in this chapter as well that we had confirmation that Mycroft was looking up old records, Mm -hmm. and then I realized that no, uh, cameras just follow Sniper around everywhere, because Mycroft clearly referenced the videos Mm -hmm. of this event in the chapter. Yeah, no, we're told that um, Cyber just has lots of cameras. Okay, but it, 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 the the main point of that line was that um, Sniper was trying to talk about who, who they would bribe, and my question to you is, who would you bribe? Knowing what you know about the, the story right now, who would you bribe if you wanted to, um, if you were a sinister conspiracy and you wanted to take over the world? If I was a sinister conspiracy and I wanted to take over the world... If Tarek Nada, who would you bribe? I mean, the obvious answer is Madame, but I don't think I would plausibly have anything she wants. Uh, but like her, it, she clearly has the highest seat of power that we've seen, whether it be soft power or hard power. Mm. I don't think you get away with anything interesting with the Emperor. You know what? Uh, I would bribe the Utopians. Hmm. Yeah. They have all of the good technology and weaponry. I think the Utopians are halfway to taking over the world already, frankly. I mean, economics is a powerful force, yeah. I think you have the same problem, because they have, like, like a third of the world revenue already. Well, exactly. So, if if you were going to try a little bit of a hostile takeover, you'd want to start with... Oh, you'd want to take over... You'd want to start with the people with power. So you'd want to take over the, the, the Utopia by bribing the Utopian somehow. No, I would I would need all of that money and economic force Utopia has behind it, I think to go about the rest of my world conquesting. Oh, okay. So nor- And also, okay. like, doubly, I don't think they care that much about it. Because they're also trying to get to another planet. If mm-hmm. anyone was going to let you take over Earth, it's going to be the Utopians. Mm-hmm. They're leaving anyway. Interesting. Okay. Oh, and you also get, um... We found out... We get lots of the Brillists. We found out about the governance system. And we find out... Which, what do you think about that? <laughs> I think it's kind of a bad one, um... I, uh, yeah, I, I'm not, I don't think the system is well thought out. Okay. 
I don't think many of these seem well thought out, honestly. Maybe I'm just a bad judge of governance systems. Well, I think... But just saying, let me take the weirdest group I can find every year? Well, I think um, part of it is, if you just sort of described the American government system to someone in like, oh, yeah. Uh, if you had the records, say, from someone from the to the ele- someone from the eleven hundreds, they would say that's ridiculous. You haven't thought of X, Y, or Z. Um, and sometimes there are things that um, we have thought out, and there's, there'd be things like that's just not a thing that matters. It turns out. Well, that's not <clears throat> that's not really my objection um, to most of these. Actually, it's not that I think they've. It's that I think most of their selection systems don't appear to be trying to select for people who would be good at running a government. Like, it, even vaguely. Even the Masons, right? Like, yeah. your biggest selection system here is can they withstand torture? That's the big one we found out about. Yeah. I don't think that correlates at all with how good you might be at running a government. Mm-hmm. Similarly, I don't think this thing that the Brillists are going for correlates at all with if you're going to be good at running the Institute. Well, I think, so, especially with the brain crash, maybe just less degree all the other things. There's a notion, because they don't say that the brain bash will be given like total control of the institute. They said they'll give new political and institutional direction to the institute. So I think they sort of like um, they say a thing, and it's Im- translated and implemented in some way. Yeah, and that's better than just handing over the keys. But uh... the Masons just hand over the keys. <clears throat> I guess I just don't think novelty in a vacuum is is as valuable as they do. Mm-hmm. We also get, uh, finally, something about the um, the sweaters that they wear. Mm-hmm. And one of them comes up right away in the next chapter. So we get four details from Mycroft about the Brillist fabric. Mm-hmm. Uh, they have a specific code for sweaters that are, that are knit by themselves. And first of all, that's a, that's a lot of commitment <laughs> for the suggestion that these are going to be things that change throughout your life. You are putting a lot of hours into knitting these sweaters. Knitting a sweater is not an afternoon process. That, that's a long-term investment. But the texture means something. The waist means something. The arms mean stuff. <clears throat> Mycroft doesn't really understand it, but he tells us. Shorter sleeves go with better skills at math. The patterns on the fabric get less complicated as they age. Quiet types wear turtlenecks. And a hood on any Brillist makes me feel fear. A hood, I can't help but assume, is the logical extension of a turtleneck. No, I think that's true. Turtlenecks go all the way around your neck. And as you extend, if you extend a turtleneck evenly as you go up, then it would be some mask as well. So it's, it is an extension in some sense, but not in other senses. But... You can't have a hood and a turtleneck. Yes. So so whatever that axis is, the hood must be the far end of that axis, because you can't have both of them. I don't think it's a single axis. And we axis. know that these are correlating. I, dis- I dispute that it's a single <clears throat> axis. That was my... That was but the it, mu- it must be. Why? It has to be, because that's like saying, okay, um, we have the sleeve thing, right? Shorter sleeves go with better math skills. And sleeves that turn into gloves at the end mean something totally different. They, like, sleeves that turn into gloves at the end mean you're really good at frisbee. You can't have sleeves that turn to gloves in the end unless you have sleeves long enough to reach your hands. No, um, it's... 
I don't think that's the the correct analogy. The correct analogy is like um, math sort of love sort of sleeves go with particles of math. What if you have a sleeve that bulges out in one along one part of your, on the inner part of your arm? Like, what does that mean? Well, like in some it, sense, it means you're less bad at math. You're less good at math, right? Because it's less long. But it's also yes. asymmetric. So encoded in, in the axis of when we talk about less good at math or more good at math, there are multiple things in there. Uh, and having a bulging out sleeve on one side means that you've extended one but not the others in the same sense. Um, but that doesn't make any sense because you can't, how, you can't have a hood and a turtleneck. It just it doesn't work. They're both collar additions, right? It, you, so anyone with a turtleneck then cannot be a person with a hood, and anyone with a hood cannot be a person with a turtleneck. Sure. That doesn't so, interfere with my point at all. Are you sure? Yeah. It seems like that suggests they need to be the same number that it's encoding. No, it can encode multiple numbers. Like, the thing we talk How? about as quiet types could be... I'm trying so hard to not use math words. Um, <laughs> could be a combination of many factors, one of which, when extended, becomes a hood. And that... No, we know this isn't true. Why? The digits are coded by different things. He describes how these work. The first digit is coded by the texture of the knit. End of thought. We open up a second. The second by the waistline. Comma. The third by the cuffs. Each of these things encodes one brillist digit. Hmm. Well, that could be true. I guess it would be bad if you're... Um further system, consider it instead of the population to, like, always have a sweater over their face. And since we know that each of these... I don't know why Mycroft couldn't be bothered to learn a list of 20 things, but <laughs> whatever, I guess that's where he draws the line. 17 languages, sure. This one incredibly useful trivia list? No. But since we know that's how it works, the hood must be an extension of the turtleneck. Yeah. I don't think it's a must. Because it I think has it's, to it's encode less certain than you're making it out to be, but it's no, that's a pretty good, that's a convincing argument. So, what on earth does it is Mycroft so afraid of really quiet people? I don't know. That's what I have to assume it is. No, that's not true. Like, we, know, we don't know what the hood means, but we do know that the turtlenecks mean you're a quiet type. So, no, that could be a descriptor. Like, imagine <laughs> I was talking about uh, creativity. Um, okay. And and the way I measured creativity was uh, I don't know the number of new, literally the number of bits in your speech or something, or how, how much the number of bits you produce per second. Um, uh, for some values of this, this produces like reasonable estimates of like people who have lots of good ideas, or lots of ideas in general. Like, who knows if they're good? Um, but at far ends, you get like logaria. And you start like picking up schizophrenia, so it's, you could have this number which says for for low types you get creative types, and for high types you get schizophrenics. Even though the I, I, the thing that produces schizophrenics and the thing that produces creative types might be entirely different, because the thing you are measuring correlates with both when that's in different domains. I guess, but I feel like the Brillists must have better numbering systems because they're shown to be so good at it. I feel like that's the kind of categorization error that they surely should have been able to solve by now. But anyway, Maybe. we learn a little bit about the sweaters. I don't know why, it, like, let's not get into this. Okay, yeah? We know it's li No, it can't be nonlinear. It goes from 1 to 20. That's not what I mean. 
There's some correspondence of the sets to to neurotypes, right? And that could be nonlinear. Maybe. Okay, maybe. Yeah. But it feels like a, a one of the biggest stretches you've made on this podcast. Really? Yes. It'd be... It can't be linear. That's not how minds work. Uh, apparently it is. The Brillists said so. Like... They learned everything about brains, and they said there's nine factors, and there's only 20 digits of each factor, and that's just how this works. That's what I say. Like, like... And all of the, all of the ways that these are encoded are very clearly, I suppose not literally linear, because you can't have, like, 1.5. They, they're, um... They can is be stepwise like... the word I'm looking for here? Huh? Is stepwise the word I'm looking for here? Um, it can be linear. But but you but it's not actually true that your Brillist set has like the numbers aren't actually given to us. I can't have one and a half. It's it's not a continuous function. There is a notion of linearity that corresponds to the thing you're talking about. Do you remember what it's called? Because I, I don't called remember linearity. what it's called. I don't think it's called linearity. Because the, the thing you're linear in isn't isn't the, the real numbers. It's like the integers or something. Hmm. In any case, we also get immediately after that Faust insisting that his students aren't robots. Uh, which is clearly a big deal for him. He, he does not seem to like robots very much. I'm getting worried about the set sets being not people. It, it, like, these really didn't give me much cause to think that in the first book, and uh, good job, I guess, because now I'm, I'm worried that that was a fake-out to get me on the side of people who think the set sets are human. Yeah. Oh, we also get a, a suggestion that Jed is Ando's son, which isn't true, it turns out. Wait, isn't true? Which one of them was Jed's actual father? It was the Emperor, right? Did we, like, wait, where are you getting this? I'm actually looking at the exact same page that we were getting the Brillist things from, or the previous. Um, we... They're talking about rumors about Jed. So, Thisby... Sniper Smile accepted mm-hmm. the compliment. The Directorate meets with Jed Mason far more often than any other advisor. Some even call them the 10th Director. Some even say they're really Hotaka Ando Mitsubishi's son. Mm-hmm. I, I genuinely don't recall. Did it turn out they were Ando's son or the Emperor's son? Fisby thinks they were that. I know they're all in the in the Bash family, yeah. which mixes it up, but genetically. I don't think we've been told. Um, so Fisby, I'm sure we have. Okay. Fisby uh, has said that Jed is Ando's son. And we know, we saw the scene this happened in. It's been implied that... Um, it was implied to her that, that, that Jed was Ando's son. Weren't we told this... In the last chapter, not the last chapter, the second to last chapter of Two Like the Lightning. The one where Carlisle goes to um, meet Heloise? No, that was in this book. No, the one where Carlisle left um, Chile to go to uh, blackmail the the. the I I only brought... So, listeners, if you're wondering why my audio sounds terrible again, I'm um, parked in a field outside of town. Also, it looks like it might start raining, in which case... Welcome to the unexpected, I don't know, ASMR version of this episode. Until then, though, I only brought Seven Surrenders with me to reference because I was in a hurry because there's construction going on where I live, and it was going to be worse, I assure you. I believe you. I thought we had been told that, yeah. So what do you want me to search? Uh, I, I don't know if I can remember a specific phrase that was used. It was into Like the Lightning. It was in the, the chapter where... Everyone's sitting around in the brothel. Yeah, Madame de Okay. Boy, that, that, I don't think that's how that's pronounced, but yes. Uh, no, I, I, I started. Madame de Okay. 
And don't they actually say out loud that Jed is the madame and the emperor's child? I think they do, actually. Let's, let me go. Uh, yeah. Um, Ganymede glanced at, um... So the Thisbe says, uh, the Jedmation is actually uh, Chief Director Ando's child. Everyone looks at, at Ando, who doesn't say anything, and again, it's like, you can't really expect him to, like, admit it, right? It's a problem. It'd be a problem. Okay, so it is Ando, not the Emperor. Yeah. Oh, okay. I knew we had been told who Jed's parents were. I, I didn't remember who, who we had been told Jed's parents were. It was a while ago. Are we getting close well, to when I get to reread this, by the way? Because <laughs> there are a lot of things where I, I desperately want to go back and just confirm my memory of. Like, I don't think you're, you're not allowed to reread. I don't know. I don't know why you wouldn't be able to, not, not allowed to reread. But I guess for, like, novelty, we want to record that episode with that in mind. Uh, yeah, I committed to not going back and rereading on, like, chapter six. Oh. Oh, that's right. So, so that's why. Uh, it's, it's in a bit. You do, you did roll the die yeah. or whatever, though. Yeah. Okay, can't be long now. Okay, so. I wonder how we can make that more interesting, because that's probably going to need to be its own thing. I don't know how we can make that more fun for the Because I'm going to have a lot to yell about, but it's going to happen over the course of, like, a pretty substantial period. Have a text box listeners can uh, type in what their reaction was to uh, all the things you got wrong. You, you'll get wrong. Fun. There's been more than... There's been one or two. Um, but I'm saying you will get things wrong. It's a prediction. Ah, impossible. I've never been wrong before. <laughs> Sometimes, perhaps, the book has gone out of its way to misinterpret itself, but... <laughs> okay. Um, that's hardly my fault. So you also learn that the Brillists... So, my, so Mycroft compares the Brillist project, the Utopian project, because it turns out the Brillists want to upload people. Yeah, I was really surprised by that, given their anti-set-set stuff, that they'd like to be put into... Com well, they... they when oh. Faust was, like, comparing... Talking about set-sets... No they, wonder mm -hmm. Faust is so desperate to study set-sets. They're computer people, and he's trying to make computer people. Yeah. I just put that together. That's good. Uh, yeah, I didn't think they'd be interested in, in doing that. Well, Faust, when, when Faust is talking about how the set sets aren't alive, how he thinks the set sets aren't alive, uh, he He thinks notes... they're alive. Well, he... He thinks they're uh, creepy, inhuman monsters. Monsters are alive. He did talk about it like... Um, mm, most he said monsters are alive. He specifically said, I hate the image of a set set as a bonsai tree, because bonsai trees are alive, set sets are dead. So he says in some meaningful, he thinks in some meaningful sense that a set set is not alive anymore, um, because they don't change. I guess that you may be quoting an actual line he said, but like they clearly are alive in that they have uh, functioning biology. I I can't fathom making that bonsai trees are alive. Yeah, he says bonsai trees are alive. What are the set sets? The set sets are just a brain thing, right? Does a set set have a pulse? I thought they did. He does say that it's convenient to have a human body around the dead brain in order to, like, feed it glucose and uh, give it nice IO inputs. IO ports. Yeah, well, that's that's generally what people mean when they say things are alive. Yeah, it says that Faust has a different definition than, like, typical. 
they're not like stupendously different. No, I think that's an easy one to interpret if you think that life is about you know like agency mm-hmm. or um, humanity, perhaps. But mm-hmm. like they're 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 trivially alive unless this book has been for the first time ever hiding major reveals from me for no good reason. <laughs> As opposed to telling you them straight out and you just simply not believing them. Yeah, that is, that has much more been the experience of reading this. <sighs> so we get this conversation between Sniper and Faust. It goes back and forth. We've touched on a bunch of it. Mm-hmm. They're discussing politics. They're discussing what's going to happen. Especially they talk about Jed. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we meet Tully Marty. And actually, you know what? Let me pull up my, my notes sheet here and make sure I didn't miss something before we get to that. For lists. Okay. Sniper is weirdly fast at picking up exactly what Tully Marty is all about. Like, in way more detail than they had any right to understand. And I can't imagine Mycroft told them. This is what, that's, what Mike, that's what Mycroft starts talking about at the end. That's how I interpreted that. Like, um, Sni- uh, Sniper's really good at getting picking up what uh, Tully's putting down, and this is unusual, uh, and should be relished. Completely... Imagine reader a castaway, so long on his island prison that even the hunger for human company has waned, who spots white sails at sea. He cannot first recognize the answer to the prayer he has long stopped chanting, but watches, uncomprehending, until, like a fever, hope, pain, loneliness, all the old passions make him charge shrieking into the surf. Just so, Tully accepted Sniper's hand, slowly, gingerly, then clung for dear life. Yeah. But my objection is different. My objection is, there is no way Sniper could have understood Tully's point about war based on what he heard here if he didn't already know the Marty's theories about war. That's not... I think Sniper is asserting a new point about war, one that has not been talked about in this story so far. Really? Uh, Sniper, you're a very brave person, Tully Marty. You're trying to save the world by preventing, or at least preparing us for, what would probably be the worst war in human history if it came. Uh, that's exactly what Tully is trying to do. How did he come to that conclusion? Oh, okay, that bit. Um, that's literally the text of what Tully's been saying. What? I don't think that's what he's been saying. He's saying, there's gonna be a war, there's gonna be a war, there's gonna be a war. Uh, and Sniper is assuming, um, that... The only reason that Tully's saying this is so we can prepare. Whereas Mycroft, um, I think Mycroft calls him a warmonger. Yeah, Mycroft just calls Tully a warmonger and has an entirely different read about what what he says, right? Well, Mycroft's been calling Tully a warmonger for ages. Yeah, but I think I think what is happening here is that like Sniper's like, well, of course you want to like prevent a war, and and Mycroft's like, no, he's gonna start a war. No, no, Sniper specifically. Immediately intuits that Tully believes that there is going to be a war coming and that it will be the worst war in human history. Those are like weird specific details to pull out of thin air. The war coming is because Tully was just seconds ago talking about. I agree. I know why Sniper thought Tully was talking about war. I don't know how Sniper immediately intuited the theories of war that the Martys were pointed out as being unique for having. The The worst war, I think, is the one that. That's, that's interesting. The other one is just like, this is what Tully's been saying. And also, also, yes. what city in this world does not have a factory that could switch production from stoves to guns in an instant? What kid can't cobble together a rock in a chemistry class? 
these things, notably, haven't been true of wars in general uh, throughout human history. Uh, what? One of them kind of was. Uh, factories have switched production from random stuff to military equipment on a dime more than once in history. Okay, that one's... Uh, like the World Wars. Yes. But the talking about what kind what kid can't cobble together a rocket in chemistry class... Um, I can go cobble together a rocket right now yeah, that's with weird. a hobby store. No, it isn't. You could do... It costs like no, 40 that's bucks not what I meant. to build a rocket. It's historically weird. It was also true of... Uh, actually, I don't, I don't know enough about the history of model rocket kits to tell you if it was true in World War II. I feel it like not. it probably was. It was not. Really? When did you start being able to buy solid fuel rocket The f- The first rocket test were conducted ever, which was in the 1920s. You realize that this... You know what? I'm going to look it up. Okay. Uh, there certainly have been wars since you have been able to go and go to a hobby shop and build a model rocket. Yeah, but it's gotten worse. By which I don't mean, like, the... Yes, wars! No, it's gotten... Like, the things you do in science class have gotten more and more extreme, in the sense that we can access higher and higher rates of energy safer. And kids like big booms, and so you do them in science class. The Song Dynasty Chinese invented a primitive form of solid propellant rocket in the 14th century. Okay. The first rockets with tubes of cast iron were used by the Kingdom of Mysore under Hyder Ali and Tipu Sultan in the 1750s. That's other than I thought. The first... When the British conquered Sirangapatana in 1799, hundreds of rockets were shipped off to the Royal Arsenal. Like, there is... This is not that weird. No, that's weird. Because those, those periods about... had a, uh, a lockdown on the production of gunpowder, which is not true anymore. Um, Wikipedia is being vague about when people started being able to just go to a hobby shop and buy... on For something on the order of, like, $50, you can, you can buy enough stuff to put together a rocket. And not a rocket... Like a, like a, you sit it on your desk and it looks like the Saturn V. Like one that you light on fire and it shoots up into the air. It's super cheap and easy to do. There have been several wars since that became the case. Yeah, but again, it's gotten worse. We've gotten more tech that is commonly used in children's schools that um, is more powerful. Like the, the Junior Science Club wanted a nuclear furnace that can split atoms. For like kicks and giggles. Yeah, that would be very fun for them, I bet. Um, but I I do not read as much into this as you clearly read into this. Okay. I agree, perhaps, that they are in a unique period of time, and I don't necessarily think that the Marty's theories of war are wrong, but I do think that it's very strange that Sniper, based on this conversation, suddenly put together exactly what he was getting at. Okay. Unless there's church war stuff, that would be additional context for Sniper, I don't understand. Can church war always be vague? Maybe there is. Uh, we do get some things about wars uh, in Tully's speech, which I find interesting. So the first one uh, is that we find out again that people in this world consider World War I and World War II to be the same war. Yeah, that's... I'm kind of on board for that, though. Yeah, yeah, so am I. We, we teach that now, frankly. Yeah, um... It's also, I've, I've been looking at the, the start of World War II dates, like start, um, and it turns out different countries have the start of World War II in different years. Oh, really? Yeah, so hmm. the, the U.S. typically teaches 1941, 
um, the entry of the U.S. into the, but that's very clearly the entry of the U.S. into the war. The British teach 1939, which is the invasion of Poland. Um, the Soviets, I think, teach 1940, 1942, when the um, Nazis went against the Molotov-Ribbentrop Pact and started invading the Soviet Union. Uh, and then in China, it's 1937, which is the year that um, uh, Japan invaded China. I guess it should probably be 37 then, right? Yeah, but even then, there's like China, Japan invaded different parts of China at different times, so you can even push it back to 1935 if you want to argue, because that's when Japan invaded Manchuria. That's when they started. Yeah, there, there was. Then a... I suppose I think we should we should go with that. Like I, I, the obvious place to count the start of the war is when the first thing was done as a function of that war. What does that? What does it mean to do something as a function of that war? Yeah, let in this case I'm going to use as a proxy someone invading someone else in an attempt to take over. Okay. Because at that point it's pretty inarguable that the conflict has started. That's, that's... And the fact that. Mm-hmm. Go on. Well, the the thing is that like, um, a, a lot of what happened is that there were multiple conflicts starting in like the late 1930s. And yeah. They ended up merging, so the Japan invaded China, cutting the. Uh, the Sino-Japanese War, and that eventually got pulled into World War II. Um, the U.S. invaded, uh, declared war on Japan, and then Germany declared war on the U.S., and so the U.S. also went to go to war against Germany. Uh, and then that got pulled into the all-in-world war. So it was like this progressive folding in of these conflicts. Sometimes we're even like, like for example, the Soviet Union didn't had a peace treaty, a neutrality treaty, with the Japan up until, like, literally uh last few months of World War Two. Uh so lots of people so I, I think it's like a a natural way to say this is part of a one war because at the time you couldn't really tell. I think it, it yeah, but we're not at the time. <laughs> we're looking we're looking back with the benefit of history. We don't need to base this on what someone at the time might know is gonna happen. Uh I think that's entirely natural. World War Two was just a bunch of stupid, unrelated conflicts that got rolled up into one thing. <laughs> That's what happened. To say we need to wait until they got rolled up feels silly to me. I'm not saying that. That's just... That's the story of World War II. That would mean I don't think World War I started until uh, three months when Soviet Union declared war in Japan. Three months before the end of the war. <laughs> it would be funny. <laughs> Look, it would be a very fun position to try to defend, but maybe not one that I think we should try to defend. <laughs> Uh, and we, we end that chapter with Sniper trying to introduce Tully to the rest of OS, obviously. Oh, I have one more thing to talk about. Which... Yeah, yeah, go on. Oh, did you have another... All right, go on then. I have another another Tully thing. Tully talks about war ending with the exponential age. Uh, and the last war they had was the Church War. Uh, yeah. Which must mean the exponential age directly preceded them. Oh, I... I, I interpreted literally the opposite as, as the meaning of that sentence. Really? Yeah. I, I read that as saying that war ended with the start of the exponential age. Now this is also, so in, in chapter six, yeah, in chapter six, it talks about the first four centuries of the exponential age um, had seen conflict. Um, and in this chapter, um, it talks about when it talks about the clothing and communication movement. It says that as we left the exponential age behind us. Okay, 
then uh, then I read that sentence wrong. I, I wasn't um, super keyed into the exponential age stuff either way, so good note. I suppose that means things get less exponential. Yeah. And you've been, you've been Which low. does explain the population. Yes. I mean, that could probably be a demographic, uh, this is a demographic shift, but yes. Well, the, even if it is, that's still things becoming less exponential. That, yeah. that would be what that would look like. Yeah. Uh, okay. That, that's it for my exponential. Well, what, 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 do you, what do you think about the, the hack that things have become less exponential? I don't, I don't know that I have anything very interesting to think about it at all. Mm-hmm. I don't think I have enough to, to make interesting thoughts. Seems unfortunate. Exponential growth is pretty cool. In some things. In many things, yeah. Guess, I guess exponential growth of violence might be bad. Exponential growth is good in a very few things. Um, that's is that true? Like, <laughs> over long periods of time, I'm going to say that. Uh, brief exponential-like growth over short periods of time for some things are great. But, like, uh, if the thing is at all physical, um, we're going to run out of stuff pretty soon. Well, not if our capacity to get new stuff grows exponentially. There's a speed of light limit preventing us from doing that. Not if the speed of light grows exponentially. <laughs> like, I think we're pretty far out, but, like, speaking writ large, exponential growth of things like, I don't know, people living well in some sense, of value in, of, in some abstract sense, is great. Um, as long as it couples with things in sequence and briefly, and things in the physical world I'm... in sequence and briefly. I'm less convinced. I think that scarcity is generally bad, and that the exponential age suggests to me a lot less scarcity. So, that's not how I I'm, think about I'm that. pro it. Even a little mm. bit. Uh, because I think there's an underlying physical scarcity uh, that means that when you have an exponential growth curve, it means that um, at some point it has to start trading off lots of things you do care about for that one thing you're causing to grow exponentially. Well, but... But there's no. You're just assuming that we can't have more than one thing. Like I don't. I don't see any reason to presume that there's only one thing that's growing with the exponential age, and it's a thing that we need to get. All think kinds it's of true. stuff can grow. I don't think it's true that one thing was growing in the exponential age. I don't think it's part of my assumption. But I think in order for exponential growth to, uh, for something a couple of the physical world to continue, uh, in general, that requires mentally trading off things. Um, which we don't we have... typically do. So, like, for example, um, you think about um, the... For example, we think about exponential... Technology's exponential curve. Um, that's one of the abstract things I think is great to have an exponential curve in. But if you think about any particular technology, typically what happens is not an exponential curve. Um, it's a um, logistic curve, um, which for uh, which begins as an exponential curve. Um, but eventually it reaches some point, and it's not switching over to 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 level out, to leveling out. Um, so you get that in like speed of transport, you know, in, in various domains of so specific technologies. Um, so I think if you keep things abstract, it's great if you have exponential growth. But if you start coupling things physically to the world, it starts being bad pretty quickly. Well, the world's pretty big, though. It's not. Exponential growth is pretty fast. Well, if we grow fast enough, we'll be able to start getting stuff from other places. Uh, the well. utopians are clearly well on their way to that. Yeah, and that's why like, like, the times we're talking about are like pretty large. It's, it's, is that true? For us, oh, sir, every particular thing physically has like a, a time scale in which it's going to be bad to have exponential growth in. Um, and for some of these things, the time scales are pretty large. Um, but like even like, but like forever and ever? Like, 
at some point, speed light limits hit, and you start getting um, only able to get physically. Uh, I think you just can't have exponential growth because <laughs> you, you can't travel an exponential curve. Like you, your speed can't be exponential. That seems like a really odd objection to something being called the exponential age. Is that physically it can't happen literally forever? That's not what I was. I was objecting to the name. I was objecting to everything that lots of things. It's great. It's great. Lots of things uh, have exponential curves. Oh, yeah, and I'm still very much on board for that. Okay. Right. It is. Having more stuff is good. That's not the disputes. <laughs> um, I was just saying that you, that you need to, at some point, you need to, we need to, like, start trading off at things. And things are very different for different things, but, um, I think that will start happening. Especially when you have an exponential curve. because uh, those goes on, the goal's pretty quick. Uh, okay, but also your ability to make these things goes pretty quick. Yeah, but the access to, to the underlying resources does not grow exponentially. Uh, and long Why uh, not? Long terms can't long term um very long time skills can't. Alright. Like the speed of light limit, right? You can't Yes, you're now I don't think eventually we're gonna actually defeat the speed of light. Okay. I just think that's a very odd objection to have to well, what is otherwise it's, it's, a pretty great I don't think it's I don't think it's going to be um I think there are things like the speed of light where like um uh, like, for example, it's not good if we have exponential use in coal or something, right? No, but what if we have exponential growth in energy production? Like, Even that's better. The fact like, that you're right, you are correct, we will eventually run out of trees to burn down, but that doesn't mean that we won't have found some other way to make this thing so that we can make more of it. That's why I said there are a very small set of things which we could have permanent exponential growth in, and these things couple physically to different aspects of the world. As time go, uh, as time goes on, so mm. it's good to have the amount of things people can do to increase exponentially, or um, it's good to have um, absence of from disease to grow, to, to grow, decrease exponentially over time, etc., etc. Um, and the the way things are being carried out are different, and so they only ex exhaust so much of the thing. Does that make sense? I mean, I I. I'm not finding myself persuaded, but I have very, very little interesting to follow up on it with. Okay. I was just trying to make sure I wasn't What's, uh... Um, but yes. Um... And I think that we have now covered this whole chapter? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Oh, uh, and Tully prefers to be called Tully Mojave. Mm -hmm. Which we knew. And we, we get confirmation here that, um, they restate, in fact, mm -hmm. that Apollo gave up their seat to the moon to escape Mycroft to Tully. Mm-hmm. Which is, I'm still not 100% on board for why that's as important as it is. I felt like they did moon trips a lot, uh, and I don't see why Mycroft couldn't have gone to the moon. They didn't know it was Mycroft at the time. It's not like they should have stopped him. It's very hard to do things secretly in space. They have to keep track of all the air, so if there's an extra person, they'll know it's them. At that point, Mycroft will have to like figure out how to hide. It's a whole thing. It's very hard to hide I don't in think space. he'd have to figure... No, no, he wouldn't need to figure out how... I'm saying... I'm saying at the time, Mycroft could have just gone on the spaceship as Mycroft because people didn't find out he was a murderer until right at the end there. At the time when Tully would have been escaping Mycroft, they, they were just escaping some person killing all the Martys. But Apollo thought it might be Mycroft enough to like write down, hey, so Mycroft don't kill him. So I think it was, it was a pretty, they thought it was a pretty good chance it was Mycroft. Mycroft had also disappeared. No, he said it, it might be Mycroft. I don't know who it is. If it's Mycroft, you can't kill him. No, he says, I don't know who the killer was until 
I meet them, but if it's Minecraft, spare them. Which I just wouldn't think would be a thing that would cross Pueblo's mind if there was no chance. Well, there's only one person who can finish the stuff that he has left undone, and that's Mycroft. That's fair. I'm looking at the quote. Yeah. I won't be certain who the killer is until I meet them, but if it is Mycroft, be merciful. Keep them alive and safe and working. You need them. If you've lost me, you need them. There are things I leave undone that only Mycroft can or can complete. I don't think that implicates Mycroft very hard, except in that the worst possible person for it to be would be Mycroft. No, that's fair. Um, yeah. So yeah, I, I feel like he could have just gone and visited the moon and then killed Tully there. Like, the problem wasn't that he was... Tully was the last one. Mycroft was not afraid of getting caught when he was done. His plan was already to be executed. And what, are the Utopians going to execute him? No. That's the best place to, to get stuck, frankly. They'll just have to send him back. Well... I think it's that it's pretty. It takes a long time to get to the moon. Does it? How long do you think it takes to get to the moon? We've been over this. It's like three days. Have we been over this in in the in the canon of this story? No, we've been in, over this? In, on the podcast. It's like a week round trip. On the podcast, talking about reality or talking about Terra Ignata? No, it was, I think it was Terra Ignata. We were also talking about like how long. <laughs> Either way, I feel like I, whatever. I'm sure it's going to become clear why this matters later on. Okay when they finally tell me. Let's get into chapter 12. Yes. We get more Julia. Mm -hmm. It's a real shame about all the rape, because Julia's pretty great. Mm -hmm. <laughs> what a line. Um. Uh, so they get a call. No, no. they. Julia calls the Mitsubishi kids, mm -hmm. who are all half-trained set-sets, mm -hmm. and, we find out, were made sweaters by their mother... Mm -hmm. With no sleeves, so they're all very good at math. Mm -hmm. There we go. I'm applying that information. Um, and also, apparently, they were trying to brag about their unnatural numbers. Which seems like a weird thing to do if you're trying to hide the fact that you're half set set. Yeah, Julia calls him on this, saying, This is, like, not a secret. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is like, like, they seem to, to think that it is. Yes. Well, almost no one can read them, right? I don't know why that would be. Well, that's not uh, true. Like, almost a billion people can read them. Because <laughs> almost a billion Many brillists. people. Yeah, a, a lot of people can read them. And, even if you're not a Brillist, can, there are people who have memorized the periodic table. I don't know why there wouldn't be people who memorized the, the encoding scheme for the Brillist sweaters. Well, I forget, maybe it's like, it's a it could be like medical information. Like, there are a lot of doctors and nurses. Um... And so if you obviously have symptoms of something that's not necessarily something lots of people know how to read them, you would, you could be reasonable in thinking it's a secret. Because apparently... But, but we know from this reading that the intention with the Brilla sweaters is to brag. declare yeah. this about yourself. No, it's, they're, they're not really thinking this through. <laughs> no, I agree. It's, it's, it's amongst the worst plans that we've heard so far. Yes. It doesn't they're also going to Julia to try to solve um, a problem because they are too afraid to go to their parents. It's it's very it's very teenager. Yeah, yeah. And we finally get some more of them interacting with each other. And they seem like they have different personalities as half-trained set-sets. They're upset and trying to take revenge on the cousins for interrupting their training regimen. But they do a couple of times 
speak creepily in unison. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and and I gotta say, it's making me worried. <laughs> I would really like the awesome computer people to not basically be graphing calculators, but but this kind of stuff makes me think maybe they are. Well, they do have, like... Yeah, but... Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's really interesting. So, yeah, they're assaulting the cousins. As we know, Julia and Carlisle were going after the cousins. Oh, yeah, this, in the last chapter, Tully said, what if the set sets are trying to take down the cousins? Of co-, And then said it later, well, of course they're not taking over the cousins. This is literally true. There are a group of set sets who are trying to take down the cousins. Uh, that's true, yeah. I wonder if Tully knows. He might. We've been led to believe the Martys are very clever. Mm-hmm. Anyway, the, the set sets and Julia and Carlisle have all been conspiring to take down the cousins, because the cousins uh, are letting... I, I forget the full chain of reasoning here, but the long version is that something's going on with the cousins, and it's going to lead to a bunch of problems with everyone else. They're becoming too powerful. They need to redistribute some people to the other hive. Well, this, this, is, a, this is a different reasoning. So here, the, 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 the children are the... Oh, yeah, they're just mad. Yeah, they're just mad. They're just, just angry and want to take revenge, and that's fine. I've said it before on this podcast, I'm totally okay with characters having such motives. Uh, everyone else has a more interesting political reason that I think I have fairly summarized there. Yeah, the, the the cousins are by their nature concentrating power with the Masons, and this is bad. Um, yeah. So we need to take them out, and then they'll redistribute themselves across many different, all the other hives, balancing out the Masons. Which is probably good for everyone except the Masons. Yeah, but it turns out that if they take them out now, all the cousins will stop and become Masons. Well, maybe the cousins aren't as dumb as I've been assuming, but... Um... Yeah, might not work. Anyway, Julia continues her complicated politicking, giving them advice on how to go about things. She mocks them for a little while about how they're too afraid to talk to their incredibly influential and powerful parents to solve their problems for them. Yeah. And uh, then, I don't think we get any other huge reveals, other than sort of some back and forth between a couple of them, until we discover that Carlisle has been hiding in Mycroft's closet. That's great. That's calling you calling that is you calling it that is great. Well, that's clearly what it is. I don't think the book's been subtle about it. Uh, every time we see someone one... in the closet, every time we hear about the closet, it's someone's hiding and spying on someone else. It's it's all pretty great. A hundred percent of the time, yeah. So the one of the set sets checks and says, "Mycroft's there with you," and we get a pretty great conversation between. Julia and Carlyle as he betrays her. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, Carlyle, the great betrayer, frankly, in this book. Go on. Oh, and then there's a in that conversation there's a, there's a mention of Pythagorean. There's the explanation of what the Pythagorean meant um, when. Uh, oh, that's right. I wanted to ask about that actually. Mm-hmm. I read that like five times, and I'm still not totally sure what it was trying to tell me. Oh, um, so the the set sets have. Apparently have religious beliefs, and they believe in reincarnation, uh, and the notion of reincarnation is closer to that of Pythagoreans than Buddhists. Did that? Did... But are you are you sure? Am I sure that's what it's saying? Yes. Huh. What what page was this? What? Uh. 
Because they're talking about how there was going to be a new kind of set set that would be a new type. 168? Yeah. Set sets, Pythagorean set sets. Their notion of reincarnation were Pythagorean. How did you know? Uh, Jehovah Mason, when they first met Eureka, their first question was, are both your set sets Pythagorean? So maybe they all have the same religious beliefs as well. <laughs> like the exact same. But we know that they aren't necessary, because there's also Cartesian set sets. So oh, what? Wait. It- no, Pythagorean is a description of their beliefs. No, because they continue on. So are you suggesting that the religious beliefs of the set sets are determined by their set set thing? Like, is Cartesian also a religious belief? No, um, I'm saying that the word Pythagorean is simply referring to their um, religious beliefs and not anything else. The same way that I make talk, talk about um, a Muslim American. Uh, the Muslim American in that set sets are really doing anything to each other. Uh, there's simply someone who is Muslim and who is American. But they go on to ask, would they have been Cartesian, Cartesian. set sets? Yeah. Because it's possible that some of those beliefs is determined by sets, we don't know. But we've seen that a lot of the set sets are like pretty similar. So really, all, all those sets of the same kind have the same religious beliefs. That's what Carlisle's going for. But they tend to be a different kind. Okay. I am... Then I guess I'm on board for this. I would have sooner assumed that Buddhist was a kind of set-set, honestly. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, I guess, is the implication that Eureka or Sydney might have the wrong kind of... No, no, Eureka and Sydney are clearly Cartesian set-sets. Boy, I hope that, that thing that, Mace, that Jehovah says makes more sense by the time I'm done with these books. Or maybe I'll, I'll hit that reread, and all of a sudden, I'll see the whole context, and I'll understand what in the hell was going on. Maybe. Um... I think this is a pretty good explanation. Like, what, what, is, what is the thing you're not getting? I suppose I just don't totally believe that Cartesian and Pythagorean and Buddhist are talking about the same kind of thing. They aren't. Like, like I, God damn it. Maybe I literally <laughs> don't understand what you're trying to tell me. <laughs> like, okay, so imagine someone is a, um, a chemist and Muslim. Sorry, imagine someone is a chemist and Muslim and American. Oh, wait. Pythagorean isn't a kind of set set at all. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Well, no, yes it is. We've heard references to Pythag... Oh. Yeah, they're all religious beliefs. Because when mm. the first time Jehovah said, are they Pythagorean, Cato says, no, they're Cartesian. Because he thought that they were kind of, He thought he was... He thought they were calling them Pythagorean as a kind of set set. Um, but we learn here that Pythagorean should be talking about the kind of reincarnation beliefs they have. Okay. Okay. Why didn't Cato know better? Cato doesn't know Eureka's religious beliefs. Why? Why? <laughs> Would they? It just seems like something that should have come up by now. Uh. If I lived with... I know what religion all of my close family members are, at least well enough that if someone mentioned their religion to them, I wouldn't be like, what? No. They're white. That would be. I can imagine some person saying that about someone else. Like it would still be a staggering. Um, never mind. Um, okay. Um, well, this is not. They're not. Uh, this is not. You don't live in the Eric Nata world. We know that Cato got annoyed when people started talking to too much of religion. I think Eureka got panicky. Um, one second. Man, I forgot how much like Mark likes the word providence. Um, and okay, we know that Cato um, doesn't like 
didn't like when um, Disby got talking too much about religion that one time. Uh, so maybe they just like. But he knows what religions are. Yeah, but when I okay, say the fine. word Pythagorean, Pythagorean, very few people first immediate reaction is, oh, that mystery cult in Greece, as opposed to the theorem. Oh, is this a cult in Greece? Yeah, it was a cult right. in Greece. Good to know. Uh, uh, about okay, which we apparently then... know nothing about the about their reincarnation beliefs, but that involved and I, the I'm numbers. afraid to Google it because it might. <laughs> this might be the first reference that comes up, right? That's my never-ending struggle with this podcast. Um, okay, this would have been then an excellent reveal for anyone who understood it when they read it. <laughs> Um, okay. But we also, I want to comment on the word Aniwaban. So Aniwaban is a word for, uh, an ancient, uh, an, a group of government-employed, uh, undercover agents. They're depicted as ninjas in modern interpretations. Um, employed by a, 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 a particular shogunate in Japan. So they're simply, oh, we would have been ninja set sets. Um. Which we kind of had heard about. Or CAA set sets. Um. Yeah. Why would that make the Cartesians obsolete, is my question. Like, those, they clearly serve very different ends. I think they're just being dramatic. <laughs> All right, fair enough. <laughs> that seems pretty in character for everyone in this conversation, actually. Uh, yeah, okay, so Carlisle's shown up. She's, she's talking, which one are we on for Carlisle right now? She? She. Yeah, yeah, Car- yeah. so she's talking has, uh, to... decided that Carlisle is a she. It's just hard to keep track sometimes. Mm-hmm. Uh... She's explaining to Julia all of the the things that she did to betray Julia. Feels like a weird choice, honestly. Given the things that she knows about Julia, right? Like, this is clearly not a person who's above just murdering you for it. And, uh, I wouldn't walk into their office and start explaining my master plan. Does Carlisle know about the murder? He must. He's met Dominic. Although, I guess Carlisle thought Dominic wouldn't stab him. Her. Yeah. Maybe... Maybe Carlyle just doesn't really understand who he's dealing with still somehow. She's dealing with. Damn it. And anyway, so Carlyle is now there to ask that the cousins be saved because mm-hmm. Carlyle is a cousin. Mm-hmm. Great. And I don't think anything else interesting happens what? until Okay. <laughs> no, that's it. That was the end of <laughs> end of the stuff. Carlyle shows up, makes a request, and then the chapter ends. Uh so where are we here? Julia's been pulling strings in the feedback bureau. Mm-hmm. And then, is there another thing before Papadelius strolls in and arrests Julia? They go back and forth a little bit, but I think it's kind of on the same, along the same line. Oh, okay. So Julia says, Julia describes what they're trying to do with Darcy Sock. So Dar- Darcy Sock has actually, has apparently been actually altering sweaty programs and distorting data. Yeah. Um, but in an attempt to counter some other mysterious force... Oh, that's right. I I think she's just bullshitting. I don't think there is an other force. Okay. It's possible there is, I guess. It's just such an easy, helpful lie right now to tell <laughs> exactly this person. It's so convenient. I struggle to even imagine that it's the truth. Uh, and then Papadelius shows up. And he arrests her for many things and under many different authorities. Yes. And Julia, continuing to be pretty great, congratulates Carlisle (laughs) on doing such a good betrayal, which I guess they've had the practice by now, uh, and then immediately tells Carlisle 
about who their parents are mm-hmm. as retribution. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, good job, Julia. You really got the better of this one. I, I think she probably is going gonna, is gonna to get off on this, frankly. Mm-hmm. And, more annoyingly, it is possible that Carlisle's father is not Ando, a thing that I was pretty sure the book had just flat out told me was true. Mm-hmm. Interesting. There's also the implication that all of this stuff that Carlyle is upset about is somehow Carlyle's fault, because Carlyle was sort of the chess piece that was used. I guess we do get a lot of politicking over what happened with Carlyle, actually. So, uh, Ando wanted to marry Danae, mm-hmm. so they gave Ganymede enough power to become the humanist president in exchange for the, his sister. They made the deal. Ten months later, Carlyle was born. And then Danae married Ando. Mm-hmm. So there's no... That suggests to me that there was someone else Danae was interested in and had the child with a month after this deal was struck and then went off to marry Ando. Mm-hmm. And I think there have been a couple of people who Danae has been weirdly friendly with, but I don't remember who those people were. So I think this is a solvable problem with the information we've been told, but I... I don't remember the key details well enough to actually solve it. Mm-hmm. Is that a uh, a fair summary yeah. of what we've caught up to here? No, I think that's right. Um, I think we've also seen. I think we've also seen Julia do most of these crimes in the story. Oh yeah, no, she she for sure did the crimes. Don't get me wrong. She just seems very confident that nothing bad is going to happen, and I have a lot of faith in Julia as a character. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure. If there were going to be ramifications, she would be more worried, and pretty sure she would have, like, at least one backup plan. Yeah, apparently, um, the, if you remember, the Sniper's chapter is sealed by the Sentinel's Conclave because it accused Julia uh, of sexual assault. Of, of doing crimes, yeah. Yeah. Amongst other things. Yeah. Well, Kidnapping. it accused a mystery person. was <laughs> very obviously Julia. It might have been Julia. Maybe it was Julia's... More criminal sister. Who also has a sniper obsession. Here's a nice fact. Here's a nice note. Um, Julia is having a discussion with the, uh, with the, ch- with the, with the set set kids on a monitor. When the call stops, uh, the application goes down, and a screensaver of Julia's favorite sniper pictures oh, of, comes oh. up. Yeah, she's clearly a pretty big sniper fan. Did and Carlisle left their scarf. They got a new scarf. Mm-hmm. So the old scarf was, um, was a lie. Yeah, was a lie. <laughs> so, technically, I don't think I get to claim credit for this Carlisle betrayal, because it's just a continuation of a prior one. Mm-hmm. So, I think last episode I guessed that next time we saw Carlisle, they would betray someone again. Mm. And this time, technically they didn't. But in spirit, I'm very much on the right track with who this character is. <laughs> I think they're just running out of people to stab in the back at this point. And that gets me through what I think are all of my notes here. Um, I liked these chapters. They were fun. I liked them too. Okay. Well then. Oh, we should have a thing to talk about. I guess we did talk about fucking um, exponential curves for a couple, half an hour. That's true. We we definitely got some exponential curve talk. Um, Yeah, I, I don't know that I have anything worth discussing. I have been just doing work stuff since last week. I've been playing... So I, I did, never talk about how I've been playing with radiation. No? Why? Uh, for school. Okay. Uh, yeah, so I, I'm in a physics program, 
and we wanted to measure how much uh, lead absorbs gamma rays. So they gave us a bunch of cesium uh, and a bunch of lead and let us play with them. Was it fun? Yeah. But all okay. things come to an end. Now we're, but now we're playing with um, high amperage currents and water. Oh, that that's... Uh, be careful. <laughs> um, we're trying to measure a, a thing, and it requires a electromagnet, uh, and it's water cold, and the water leaks, and we have circuits on the same.